have your Bible, would you turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1, start with verse 13 and go through verse 16. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. <clears throat> so think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You did not know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. May God add his blessing to our reading and understanding of his holy and inspired and unchanging word. I don't know how many of you know the hymn that we're going to sing at the end of the service, but it's always been one of my favorites, and actually every one of these three that we've already sung are my favorites, and I hope they have blessed you this morning as they have me. I get goosebumps every time I sing those uh, those first three, and this last one too, it just it wipes me out. It has a tremendous message, and I want you to listen to the words of the King is coming as we begin the message this morning. The marketplace is empty. No more traffic in the streets. All the builders' tools are silent. No more time to harvest wheat. Busy housewives cease their labors. In the courtroom, no debates. Work on earth is all suspended as the king comes through the gate. Happy faces line the hallways, those whose lives have been redeemed, broken homes that he has mended, those from prison he has freed. Little children and the aged, hand in hand stand all aglow, who were crippled, broken, ruined, clad in garments white as snow. I can hear the chariots rumble. I can see the marching throng. The flurry of God's trumpets spells the end of sin and wrong. Regal robes are now unfolding. Heaven's grandstands all in place. Heaven's choir is now assembled. Start to sing Amazing Grace. Don't you love that song? Ha, goosebumps coming. Oh, the king is coming. The king is coming. I just heard the trumpet sounding, and now his face I see. Oh, the king is coming. The king is coming. <clears throat> Praise God. He's coming for me. Pray with me again just a moment. Lord, as we look into this scripture, <clears throat> as we think about the return of our Savior, we pray that your spirit would move our hearts as only he can do. Touch us for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got some really good news for y'all today. 
How many of you want to hear some good news? They say, look at those hands go up. The good news is the king is coming. Amen. <laughs> Did you hear that? Beautiful. Thank you. She said, amen. And amen is right. He's coming and he's coming soon for us who love him. The text which is ours for today was originally written <clears throat> for the encouragement of Christians who were suffering terrific persecution because of their faithful, because of their consistent witness for Christ. They were disturbed in those days. They were distressed by circumstances in which they found themselves living. And so God sent, sent these words to remind them of their future hope when Jesus comes back again. And he says this, Until then, do not let your life and witness become ineffective because you are burdened down by worry and fear. Christians really should not worry. There's no reason to worry. If you love God and know God, I have to, I have to do my verse. Uh -huh. I'm sorry, but I'll just put this in because it just fits. Don't worry, Christian. If you love Jesus, you have no right to worry, no reason. Said the robin to the sparrow, Friend, I'd really like to know why these anxious human beings rush around and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, I think it must surely be that they have no heavenly Father such as cares for you and me. In spite of your sorrow, you may have had plenty of it in your life. I don't know, but you know. In spite of adverse circumstances, conditions, <clears throat> as one who loves the Lord, rest every day in the comfort of his peace and continue to do just that till Jesus comes again. He's coming soon. The question I'd like to ask you this morning is, are you ready? Hello? Are, are you really ready? All right, I hear some amens. Trust him with perfect confidence. Wait patiently for the grace that will be yours when God the Father sends his son back. Personally, I cannot imagine any hope more comforting are more inspiring for the people of God that whatever your problem may be, and don't tell me you don't have any. I have my share. Whatever your burden may be, probably you've got some real burdens. Most of us do. How about heartaches? Other difficulties? I can't think of anything more comforting and inspiring than to think about and rejoice in the blessed hope that is ours in the coming again of our living Lord Jesus Christ. He tells us in our text this morning to look forward every day to the return of Christ. Look forward with joyful anticipation, with joyful expectation, because the hope that we have in Him, the hope that we have in His coming again, will transform our weakness into his strength and our insufficiency into his all-sufficiency. 
for many, many years, an old uh, godly pastor was in great doubt, he said. Sometimes even despair concerning many of the truths of the Bible, which he felt were, to him, they were obscure. And it troubled him a lot. But nonetheless, he said, I still gave myself to a daily persistent study of the unchanging Word of God and to prayer. And the result was, he said, that I discovered in the truth of the second coming of Jesus the key that unlocked so much of the Bible that had previously been closed to my ears and to my heart. And folks, this morning I want to say to you in in his name that belief in the return of Jesus is the key that unlocks the door to balance and to stability for the Christian in a world that is as torn up as ours is. We talked about that some time ago when God, through the church, gave me the privilege to come back and preach another sermon from Amos. The church is a mess today. The world is a mess. All kinds of evil everywhere you look. Not long ago, uh, a pretty well-known political leader from Europe said this, and I quote, I cannot see a single star of hope on the international horizon. End of quote. But folks, every student of God's unchanging word is assured that he or she has the star of hope. Even though the storm clouds of war and strife hover just above. Look at Numbers Chapter 14, verse 21. Keep your Bible open. That's number of verses. I want you just to see. Numbers 14, 21 says, As truly as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. And that, Christian, is your star of hope and mine. Even though the world in which we live today is overrun with hate, and sorrow and grief and sin of every form imaginable, it will one day, according to God's word, be the dwelling place of his righteousness, his peace, and his blessing. Thank God this morning, Christian, that the turmoil will not last forever because Jesus is coming back and he will rule and subdue all that oppose the truth of God. I wonder if you realize this morning how explicit Jesus himself was concerning his return. John 14, verse 3, he said, If I go, I will come again. When he returned to heaven that first time, his followers were bewildered, I guess is a good word for it, as they stood and looking up into the sky, they just didn't know what to do. But the angels assured them that Jesus would return when they said in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, You men of Galilee, what are you doing standing here looking up into heaven? This same Jesus, who has been taken up from you to heaven, will come back in like manner as you have seen him go to heaven, to his Father. 
and those who fully accept the scriptural truth of the return of Jesus will find this anticipation to be a strong influence for Christian behavior in every walk of life. In fact, the, the, the direct relationship of righteous living to the return of Christ is mentioned over and over and over throughout the Word of God. Look at Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5. For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will place a righteous branch on King David's throne. Look at Psalm 96, verse 13. For the Lord is coming, coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and all the nations with his truth. Just to mention several uh, verses. You know, without a doubt, one of the main reasons for the worldliness that we see so much in the church today is a disregard of the scriptural presentation and acceptance of the truth of the Lord's return. As I grew in faith as a young man, and that's been a bunch of years ago, I'm sure you can tell, I had the privilege of listening to many different preachers preach on many different subjects because I had been saved at that point and I was anxious to hear what all that the Bible had to say for me. <clears throat> but I have to say this. As I listened to all those preachers preach many different times on many different subjects, it, it breaks my heart to think that to, as best I can recall, I, and I listened hard too, I only heard one of those preachers preach on the second coming or the return of Jesus Christ. And that preacher, I remember well to this day, his name was Sam Patterson. He's with Jesus now in heaven coming back someday. I was 17 years old as I heard him preach that. And it, it, it really changed my life. Folks, the promised return of Jesus, according to the Bible, should have a threefold effect on every one of our lives, those of us who love him. Do you love him this morning? If so, look at it. And I hear an amen, good. It should constrain you to obey the Lord. It should constrain you to forsake your sin. And it should constrain you to be holy. After talking about the second coming of Christ in our text, Peter immediately admonishes us to be obedient because God is greatly concerned about our obedience as his children. Remember that passage in Luke 6:46, where Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord if you're not going to do the things that I tell you to do? So doing is important and it's a lot more important than many of us perhaps would like to think. And if you would really obey God, then you must be willing to forsake all known sin. And though we live in a carefree generation, and you have to know that's the truth when you hear it, it could best be described by, I guess, one word 
that I could put on that would be the word, the generation in which we live, the word lust, L-U-S-T. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we should not be counted among those who bear the mark of this generation. Do you know what lust is, what it means? Lust is the natural inclination on the part of man to throw off all restraints. But we who love him and look for his return are to break forever with the former lust of the unconverted life and to cut ourselves off from those lusts in the flesh which we know are so very displeasing to our God. Look at Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 13. For the grace of God, which brings salvation, has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 21, starting with 34. Watch out. Do you hear what he said? Are you watching? Watch out. Don't let my sudden return catch you unawares. Don't let me find you living in careless ease, carousing, drinking, occupied with the problems of this life, like the rest of the world. But be controlled by the Spirit of God and desire only what God wants for you rather than your own self-indulgence and pleasure. When Peter wrote this text under the direction of the Holy Spirit, he recognized that abundant Christian living could never be experienced apart from holiness. And so he reached the high point of his challenge with this important theme. Here it is. As he who has called you is holy, you be also holy in all manner of your conversation. In other words, in every department of your life. You know, Christian people who love the Lord, it's a real challenge, isn't it? To be yielded completely to Jesus. But we've got a high calling. For God has not called us to uncleanness, but to holiness. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7. And only as we walk with God in a life of full commitment through holiness can we expect to attract a lost and dying world to a mighty and redeeming Savior. But through obedience, what do we do? We deepen our fellowship with the Lord, and through the forsaking of our sins, we enjoy living victoriously for Christ, and through holiness, we will convince indifferent men and women of the satisfying reality of Jesus Christ. <coughs> And in our lives, we will act in, weather, in one of two ways, either as magnifying or as diminishing glasses through which the world sees our Savior. 
Through the life of a, a co- committed Christian, the world will see a magnified Christ in all of his great saving power. But the life of a worldly Christian will present to the world a minimized picture of Christ who is not able to keep us from sin or to satisfy us with his divine presence. In other in, in his word, the Lord has told us to be holy, even as he is holy. Because this is why you were called, that you should follow <coughs> in his steps. And who, he who says, I abide in Christ, ought himself also to walk, even as Christ walked. <coughs> Excuse me. Did you hear that last statement? He who says that he abides in Christ ought himself also so to walk, even as Christ walked. So holiness, holiness is, it's a possession of the soul of an individual by God. (coughs) Holiness does not necessarily denote perfection because perfection in this life is absolutely impossible. Just don't let don't get too worried about my voice. It gets messed up sometimes. It's all right. But as Christ was compelled to do the will of his Father in every activity of his life, thank you for the water, David. <coughs> as Christ was compelled to do the will of his Father in every activity of his life here on earth, so also are Christians to be possessed by God through complete commitment to Him. When He comes back again, and He's coming soon, probably a lot sooner than most of us think, we who love Him, the Bible says, will be made perfect. But for now, what is our obligation? Complete yieldedness, Total commitment to Him. How about you? Complete surrender of our will to the will of the Lord. How about your will? Who do you? Who is your will surrendered to? This kind of commitment begins when we give Him top priority. Does He have top priority in your life? Does He have the bread of your life, the best that falls, that comes from your table? Or does he get the crumbs that fall after you have fed sumptuously on the good things of this world? Give him first place in every activity. And give... Okay, thank you. Appreciate it. Sometimes when I get a little overly excited, and I do that fairly often, and I don't think that's too bad, I start coughing or something else. Anyway, this kind of commitment begins when we give him top priority, that first place in every every activity of our life, thereby giving witness to the world that we love him with our whole being. How about you? Are you doing that? In the final chapter of the Gospel of John, it's one of my favorite chapters, 
Jesus did not ask Peter if he loved to feed sheep. Nor did he ask him, Peter, do you love to preach and talk to others about me? But what Jesus did ask Peter, do you see it there in the last chapter of John's Gospel? What Jesus did ask Peter three times was, Peter, do you love me? And that is the key to holiness. Do you really love him? With all your heart. If so, it should not be that difficult to abide by his commands through willing obedience. Because God, with every command in his book, gives the, gives the enabling grace to carry it out. Don't ever forget 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Where he said, where it says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Through the Holy Spirit, God gives us unlimited power to live holy lives. And for our part, what are we to do? We are to yield freely, freely and completely, moment by moment, day by day, moment by moment. Day by day, did you hear it? To a life of obedience and the forsaking of sin. And we ought to seek no other way but God's way, which involves wholehearted commitment to the Christ who gave his all. So, bottom line, folks, as we go from God's house this morning, after we sing a song about his coming, bottom line, Hey, hey, watch me. Look up. Look up. You who love and serve Jesus, look up. Because your king is coming. Your king is coming. Be ready. The question is, are you ready now? If not, please. Listen to the Holy Spirit speaking to you and be ready. Amen. And amen. And if you will now get your bulletin. And we're going to sing, The King is Coming. I learned this song.